This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and we're so thrilled to have a wonderful star on the show today. You know her as one of the longtime television hosts of CTV's The Social, and her name is Cynthia Loist. And for those of you who know me well, you know that I love The Social, and I've always marveled at how spunky Cynthia is and how she just goes for it with confidence and a fun and sassy flair that is so delightful to watch and to try to emulate, too. So when I heard that she's also the author of this fabulous book, and I'm holding it up here, Find Your Pleasure, The Art of Living a More Joyful Life, I was so excited, and I knew that we just had to have her on the show. The book, Find Your Pleasure, is such a beautiful reminder, really, of all the things that are delicious and delightful, if we're awake enough to acknowledge them. And I'm so thrilled to have her here on the program. Cynthia Loist, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Oh, thank you for that beautiful introduction. I feel like we're already kindred spirits, like finding your bliss, find your pleasure. We're like, we're circling around the same same world. The same orbit, it's true. <laughs> I want to tell everyone a little bit more about you because I really love your career. Cynthia, you're an author, you're a sex educator, a television host, and creator of the popular online destination, Find Your Pleasure. And as mentioned, you have been a co-host on this program since 2013. That's pretty impressive for nine years on the popular national television show, The Social on CTV. You've had the pleasure of interviewing a wide variety of fascinating people, including Ryan Reynolds, Emma Thompson, and Hugh Jackman, Sapphire, Vivica Fox, and Rod Stewart, just to name a few. And prior to this, you were also a producer and writer on a variety of productions, and you've been nominated for many awards for your work on the documentary series Sex TV and this beautiful book, and it is a beautiful book, and I just have to tell that to the listeners who can't see it. You'll see it on our Instagram, but the photographs are gorgeous in this book, Find Your Pleasure was published by Simon & Schuster in 2020 and was on the national bestseller list for over nine weeks. You're a sought-after keynote speaker and a guest lecturer. You've talked at colleges and universities, including Ryerson, Sheridan, Bishops, and the University of Toronto. You've received awards for your work in sex education from the Society for the Scientific Study of Sexuality, as well as from Planned Parenthood in Toronto. And you're a graduate of the University of Michigan's Sex Education Program. I swear that's the end of the bio. So, Sorry, yeah, that's a bit of a lot of stuff. When you hear it back, you're just like, wow, I got the good stuff. <laughs> but that you've done all of that, and it's so impressive. And I, the book is so filled with joy and love, and it really shows women how to get to the heart of what we need and want in every aspect of our lives. Can you take us back to 2013 when you were first hired as a co-host on this beautiful show, The Social? You were a new mom had an amazing job, probably the the top echelon job in in television. You had a support and still have a wonderfully supportive partner, a beautiful, thriving child, but you were definitely not in your bliss at that time. 
What was preventing you at the time from living a happy and joyful life? I mean, at that point in time, it was all of the things you described. And yet there was this cloud of of what I would like to describe as a combination of self-doubt, you know, insecurity, but also I felt myself drowning in to-do lists, you know, um, some of which, you know, were logical things that, that would take to run a home, you know, like, did I do that? Did I do this? I have a new baby. Have I fe- left enough yes. milk for the baby? Like all these questions. But it was also these must-do ideas. Like, am I good enough at this job? Am I, am I, go- am I being a good mom? I felt fragmented. I felt stressed and I felt like I was failing on all of the fronts in my life if I was being honest with myself. And so within this, you know, shadow of self-doubt and insecurity and, you know, stress and all that, I started having panic attacks and it eventually culminated in having one live on the air. I didn't tell my, my, my co-hosts. I would kind of love to go back and see that episode because I basically my words fell out of my head. I was trying to make a point and I lost my footing. And I thought, you know, that inner voice inside your head that sometimes is trying to take you down. It was like, you're going to throw up, you're going to pass out. So I thought live on the air in front of all these people, I'm going to, I'm just going to, you know, watch my career implode. But I didn't, I held it together just long enough to get myself into my car. And then I just burst into tears and I thought something isn't right. And, you know, it's funny looking back, some people have said to me, well, do you think it was a bit of postpartum? And I don't, I don't know. I don't think it was. I think it was really just something that is actually quite relatable to women who are high and like highly ambitious and trying to do all things and be all things to everyone. That's why it just dawned on me. I thought, I can't remember the last time I did something really delightful that I really, really in love, something just for me. And when I started reaching out to my girlfriends, many of whom were new moms as well, I said, what was the last time you did something, you know, for pure pleasure? And I'm not just talking like just a day at the spa, like something that really filled you up. And the answers that I, that I got back were everything from, I can't remember way before kids to one woman who just wrote back, like a, she just wrote, ha ha, like, just like I, you know, it's out of the realm of my imagination right now. And I thought, there's wow. something here. So I started to do this deep dive on pleasure and researching and investigating pleasure and where it sits in our world right now. And what I uncovered became infinitely fascinating to me. It eventually led to creating this website and it eventually, of course, led to this book. Wow. And yet you say that we often call the word pleasure, the dirty cousin to happiness. And it's such an evocative way of describing it. And it's true. We don't allow ourselves. Why is that? Oh, I think there are so many reasons why. If you do a quick search on the word pleasure, more often than not, you will lead, paths will lead to sex immediately. And I do talk a lot about sex in the book, and I do think it is one of life's pleasures. But obviously, it's so much more than that. I think it comes from a bit of a puritanical ideology around um, the slippery slope ideas that if you indulge too much, you are on the path to ruin. They call it the hedonic treadmill, right, in our brain, where we love to get that kind of rush that we get from delicious activities. And whether that's getting a great promotion that we worked for, that lights up the same centers in our brain as cocaine does. Um, (laughs) So we tend to gravitate towards the things that give us that quick hit. Mm -hmm. And 
we have to be mindful of those kinds of things. You know, they can put us on some kind of a path that can not be as fulfilling as meaningful gestures. Having said all that, I think that what we veered too far towards is actually avoiding things that are our true calling and not making time and space for things that actually do bring us joy. And instead, women in particular end up following scripts that other people have written for them Mm -hmm. instead of finding what truly moves them, what truly inspires them. And I can talk about like the small P pleasures Mm -hmm. and then the big P pleasures. So like to me, the small P pleasures, the way I describe this is just, and it's so simple. It's getting in touch with your senses again. It is recognizing that we as human beings were meant to experience pleasure. We were meant to notice the beautiful sounds of birds singing this spring, the smell of freshly cut grass or uh, something baking in the oven and mm. allow ourselves to be transported through time to remembering our grandmother, you know, and the beautiful things she baked for us. Yes. Or, you know, yes. summertime when we were growing up. When we start to recognize the importance of touch and taste and sound and all of the things that our bodies naturally give us, we are primed for pleasure. And nowhere is this more obvious than when we look at kids who just like walk around like as these little pleasure monkeys, right? <laughs> grinning, grinning happily. And <laughs> in the true. moment, you know, they want to yeah. touch and taste and feel everything. So those yes. are like the small P pleasures that I think we need to think more often about. And we take for granted as we wander around with our faces buried in our phones, we lose out on all that. And I think it does a disservice to us. But then the big capital P pleasures are the things that actually bring meaning to our lives. Mm-hmm. And so many people find themselves, I'll tell you this, Judy, when I was on my book tour, and we can get into that too, because that was just before the pandemic. Wow. Like I launched the book in January of 2020 <laughs> oh, and was finishing goodness. my book tour in March, just as the whole world, it was like, oh God. Oh, goodness. But when I, I spoke to so many women on my tour, and I can't tell you the number of times women got up and they were in tears and they would tell me stories like, I'm in my fifties. I spent my entire life in service of my husband, um, my kids, maybe sometimes my job, and now they're all gone. And I don't even know what I like. Yes. And that really sat with me. The pandemic was a perfect time to realize like, if you don't start living for your own joy and finding in places where it's challenging, if you don't start now, when? Absolutely. It's so true. And this has been a wonderful opportunity to do just that. For me, like finding your bliss is that I think every one of us was born on this planet with something unique, beautiful talents, gifts, capabilities that only you have. You're you're like the only one, like a snowflake in the world that has this. And when you can utilize those gifts to serve other people, when it's in service to other people, there's something so sweet about that. And a lot of people, when I ask them, what's your bliss, will say, I don't know. And I think everyone does know. I think that it's there. And, and my job usually as a life coach is to help people tap into it. But once you find it, it doesn't matter if it's at 50 or 60 or 70. Dreams have no expiry date, right? Exactly. So it's I, I'm so fascinated by it because you're giving so many wonderful examples. Like I love the chapters on everything from relationships and love and sex to just beauty and, and, and all of the wonderful things. I'm going to tell you, ask more about them. And I also just wanted to say also... Why do we say guilty pleasure? Like my guilty pleasure is watching The Bachelor and watching Schitt's Creek for the sixth time. Like I've watched the entire um, series six times and it's my guilty pleasure. But why do we have to add that word? Why can't we just say, hey, 
I think we should absolutely, Judy, we're here to say, like, let's not use the word guilty pleasure anymore. We shouldn't feel guilt about our pleasures. And I think men often don't. This is something that is often the domain of things that we feel maybe embarrassed by, that we should be reaching for something more important, more lofty. There's a kind of snobbery that goes along with this idea. And we put it on ourselves. I think to myself, growing up, I was so ashamed to admit that I enjoyed Barry Manilow music. That wasn't cool. That wasn't like enjoyable, right? But it is... You know, it's something that resonated with me as a child. I don't want to feel embarrassed about that. Um, I think it goes back to what I was saying before about this kind of idea that we are all supposed to be a certain person or aspiring to be this one specific person. And that's the definition of beauty or that's the definition of success. Yes. In the book, I share this idea of like the messages that I got growing up and I think so many women got the same messages, is you can eat, but don't eat too much because then you'll take up too much space, right? The, the worst sin could be that you, you end up you know, taking up too much space. Or you can like sex, but don't ask for exactly what you right. want in the bedroom because then you're right. that kind of girl. Right. And you can talk and you can use your voice, but don't speak up too much in class or else you're going to be seen as bossy or opinionated. Nobody likes that kind of girl. I think most of us got put into these boxes and yes. encouraged to stay in there. And therein lies the problem where we spent a lifetime, many of us, trying to bury who we really are. And I think that this does a huge disservice. And I'm glad to see these things are slowly changing. I think the next generation of women are starting to really, really question these tiny boxes that we've been put inside and breaking open and being like, I deserve pleasure. Can I ask you about your background? Because I read and I, or I saw you talking about this on camera at one point where you said your parents were very strict. There were all these rules. You had to be home at this time and you had to behave this way and sit this way. And do, and yet they let you smoke cigarettes in the house. Like there were dichotomies. And can you speak a little bit to that? Because I wonder if that's given you sort of this this freedom and has helped you on this journey. Well, I definitely think I was raised in a Catholic environment. And so I was always really, really interested in the contradictions and um, conundrums within that religion. And I was always very precocious, too. I was curious about sexuality from a very young age, and I had nowhere to go. My parents never gave me the talk, and my school certainly didn't give me the talk. So I was kind of left floundering. And, and um, you know, I remember once, my poor parents, they're lovely people, but I said to my mom, um, so, you know, Catholics only believe in sex for procreation. So does that mean that you and dad only had sex twice because I have a sister? <laughs> and it was just like, they just sort of shooed me off because, you know, Catholics <laughs> are always bending the rules to suit them. And right. anyway, I, I, I ended up becoming very disenchanted when my older sister, she was three years older than me, she came home and she was unintentionally pregnant. And to me, this was a moment that really crystallized for me the very real things that can and do happen when you don't empower and inform young girls in particular how yes. to take care of themselves because she was definitely it, this wasn't something that she necessarily wanted to do she kind of got caught up in a whirlwind thing at, with yes. an older person and wow. so I, I thought you know this was a time where I, it really sent me on this journey of like I want to become that friend who knows everything she can so I started gobbling up all this sex information <laughs> and became where it started writing an advice column when I was still in university and yes. Was that the Pandora's box? That's right. Yes, wow. exactly. That sounds fascinating. What was that column? Was that column just about everything and anything to do with sex, love, romance? Correct. Any question that came my way. And, you know, I was just, I was thrilled to be answering those questions. I don't know that I had the, uh, I mean, I guess an advice columnist, if, if you have something to say, then, and people <laughs> want your advice, then you're, you can do it. But I certainly didn't have the depth of knowledge that I do today. 
But that definitely set me on that path of just kind of exploration. And my parents, you know, over the years, I, it's funny, they've become more, I think, open-minded. There's been a lot of arguments over the years, but I give them a lot of credit for opening up their minds in many ways. Wow. Wow, it's so fantastic. Really incredible. You created this wonderful website, findyourpleasure.com. And I love the pretty pastels and the cupcakes on the cover page. I'm on a diet, so cupcakes are really like appealing right now. Eat um, the cupcake. My God, the cupcake. Judy, short. I'm on the Susan Galuzzo program. Oh, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, Everyone is on that. I everyone's feel like. on it. Yeah. And I, so, but can you take us back to that time and what inspired you to create this gorgeous website? Was that around the time in 2013 when you were searching for pleasure and for a way out of this box? Yes. Because one of my pleasures growing up that I'd kind of abandoned was writing. And I'd kind of, you know, got busy with producing and working in television that I, ha- I wasn't really just writing for the sake of pleasure. And so I thought I'm going to, as I started exploring pleasure, and, you know, I, I thought I'm going to make this place where I can land, my work can land. And then lo and behold, I was able to reach out. It, it, it garnered some traction. And I had this team of writers who are so interesting and so amazing. And, and the website really does cover all aspects. We write about, I write about sex sometimes. I've written about, you know, the pleasure of music. We've written about the pleasure mm. of touch or massages or, um, you know, I have a couple of parents who write parenting pieces on there about the pleasure of just sort of like little tiny moments with your children. And exactly. uh, it's a huge range because I think pleasure has such a depth and it's been kind of sidelined as this thing that's more simplified and things we shouldn't talk about. But the more I researched, the more I found that there is so much, even just the illusions we have around pleasure and are interesting things to unpack. Like yes. there was a great bit of research. I think it's by Paul Bloom. He's actually, I think he's based out of Toronto and he's done a lot of research in, in the realms of pleasure. And he had found that if you tell people, this is just a random example. If you tell people that the wine that they're drinking, for example, is a very expensive and she-she kind of thing, <laughs> they will alter their experience of pleasure, the way that they'll describe it. Versus also, if you tell them it's a pile of crap, like it was, you it's know. It's blue nun. That's it's right. Blue nun. <laughs> <laughs> so how much of our brain, and I, why this is interesting to me too, is because of the possibilities it could have for um, if our brains can help shape our experience of pleasure, wow. what does that say about how we can impact the way that we feel about our experiences in the bedroom? How can we help shape if we're, let's say, having long-term relationship and sex has become a little dull? What can happen in our brains to help shape our experiences or reshape yes. our experiences? I think that that's the most interesting place for me to look at because I think we have so much more power that we can impact. Just another bit of research too, which is that Right now, obviously, certain cities across the United States and even in Canada have been decimated by the opioid epidemic, yeah. the opioid crisis. And there was this one small town, I believe it was in Pennsylvania, where mm. they took people who were in recovery and they taught them how to make, I believe it was guitars with their hands. So they were wow. handcrafting, like creating something of art and then learning how to play it. And the success rate of keeping these people off was so incredible. So again, the power of creating something, using your pleasure centers to make something, to make music, how wow. that activates wow. a, a pleasure center that was activated by a drug in a dangerous way um, yes. is really, really potent and important. And I think we should be talking more about it. 
That is fantastic. I love that. I, I, I have, there's so, <laughs> so many things I want to ask you about. I'd actually love for you to read something from your beautiful book, Find Your Pleasure, The Art of Living a More Joyful Life. But first, we're going to go on a short commercial break, more with Finding Your Bliss and our celebrity guest, Cynthia Lois, when we come back, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. This is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740, and I'm here with Cynthia Loist, one of the hosts of the popular daytime show, The Social, on CTV. And I was just asking Cynthia if she would read from her beautiful book, Find Your Pleasure. I have to say one of the many things I love about this book are the beautiful illustrations. And I love that you really go from the smallest of pleasures to the greatest walking and meditation and mindfulness and gratitude. And I loved your page on hidden messages on page 181 about meeting Elizabeth Gilbert. I just, there was something about it that was so impactful. Would you like to just read a little excerpt from that page? I will. I've got all these different pages in here. That'd be Um, awesome. Yeah. And I've got a picture in here. So I'll just show you that. Um, And I will describe this in a second. So yeah. So years ago, I had the fortune, the good fortune to sit down with Eat, Pray, Love author Elizabeth Gilbert on the social. Her presence was felt as soon as she entered our backstage area. Effortlessly beautiful, dressed in a sharp yet casual suit, she had a calm, grounded energy that radiated around her in the most incredible way. She was on our show to talk about her book, Big Magic, which is all about embracing curiosity and tapping into your creative potential. One of the ideas she writes about is that there are a finite number of creative ideas in the world. And if you don't grab a hold of one of yours when it comes knocking, it will simply move along and find another person who is ready to receive it. As Elizabeth was speaking, I couldn't help but feel she was communicating directly to me. <laughs> After all, I'd had this dream of launching a website, but hadn't yet got it off the ground. Her words were just the push I needed. After the interview was done, we went backstage and she opened up a cloth bag and asked everyone to reach in and pull something out. I unearthed a small charm of the elephant god Ganesh. Elizabeth smiled at me in a kind of knowing way. We embraced and then she was gone. Right away, I did whatever any magical thinking person would do. I began researching the meaning behind this talisman. (laughs) It seems Ganesh, also Ganesha or Ganesha, is the lord of good fortune and new beginnings. He's often seen as a remover of obstacles, both the material and the spiritual variety. And he also sometimes places obstacles in the paths of those who need to be checked. Ahem. I was recently reminded of that when I got home from work one day feeling incredibly anxious. You know, that tight-chested, cold, sweaty feeling as if a cloud of doom is hanging over you? After dinner, my son said, Mommy, I need you to help me make a dragon. 
I thought, I don't know how to make a dragon. But I unearthed <laughs> a cardboard box and we started. We cut construction paper into triangles. We added colorful spots, decorated with sparkly tape, and voila, a dragon. After he wore it around in his head for a while, he said, Mummy, this is your dragon. That felt like both a sweet and significant gesture. So after he went to bed, I looked up the meaning of dragons. It seems <laughs> they are believed to be powerful guardians and guides, and for those who need strength, courage, and fortitude. Suddenly I noticed all my anxiety was gone. The universe is constantly sending messages. When you tune in and truly listen, these messages can help you liberate secret parts of yourself and let your creative spirit soar. And that's some kind of big magic indeed. That makes me want to cry. That's so beautiful. And I just want to say, you're a beautiful writer. And to watch you read your work and see your face lit up with animation and your eyes sparkle, really beautiful stuff. I think this is part of your bliss. I think so too. Thanks, Judy, for reminding me. Because it's after you write a book, it takes a while because people keep asking you after you write it. It's like having a child. They're like, when's the next one? And 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 it's sometimes daunting. You think that was a lot of work to go through. So but thank you, Judy. You're 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 sending me some magical messages. What are some ways, Cynthia, easy ways, just to start, that people can begin to incorporate more pleasure into their lives for people who really struggle with this, who are tightly wrapped and don't feel they deserve pleasure, they have to do their work and do what they have to do. How can they begin in a relaxed way to to incorporate this? You know, I want to go back to, I'm not going to read from this, but one of the things that I go back to time and time again, it's a simple kind of acronym because people did ask me that constantly, like, how can I get pleasure in my life right now? And for me, I like to say, you know, just say, ah, and of course, ah, inspires breath and breathing and groundedness. And that Judy, I know that you're interested in this too, because I think in those quiet moments where we just have breath and can follow the breath, it's a simple activity and it's a hard activity, but that's when some deep seated stuff burbles up to the surface, right? It's the reason why our dreams tell us things. It's the reason why, you know, some people try to avoid quiet. Going and taking deep breaths, sometimes your secrets will rise to the surface. Yes. But it's also an acronym. So the first A stands for awareness. And I think it's becoming aware of what actually brings you pleasure. Everyone has their own unique things. And some things might overlap. Judy, you and I might share some things. But like some other person finds their bliss in baking. And they might find it in walking. And they might find it in bird watching. And they might find it in sex. And they might, there's all kinds. And singing and learning Italian, all the rest. All of those. Where there's passion, there's pleasure. A good question for people to ask themselves, if money were not an issue, what would I do with my time? Because then then you work backwards and try to carve it into your schedule. So... The second A stands for attention. And it's because it's easy to get wrapped up in our lives and we are more than willing to schedule our kids' dental appointments and schedule maybe our, you know, reluctantly our gym appointments or whatever it might be, but we're less likely to schedule in time that we want to actually carve out for our pleasures. Um, And I think you really need to do that and pay attention to where you're spending your time. You know, everyone gets those messages on their phone. You spent... How many hours a day on my phone? Embarrassing, embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. going to say your, your phone can't be your pleasure. I mean, yeah. maybe to some degree, but I'm going to say you probably need to reroute that. So yes. the third A stands for authenticity. And I think this is the hardest one for some people because a lot of people have been, again, walking through life, reading other people's scripts, you know, yes. or, or yes. The, you know, I, I can even use an example, which is like, you know, people who often say, I hate exercise. I hate exercise too. 
but I do it sometimes <laughs> because I uh, th- there's a pleasure on the other side of it. That's right. That's right? right. So that's why we do it. It's it's getting to sometimes we need to go through a bit of pain to get yeah. to the pleasure. Sometimes Absolutely. we need to even reimagine some painful things as pleasurable because, you know, we, you know, this is a bad example maybe, but like people <laughs> like spicy food. Why? Because it gives us a little <laughs> bit of pleasure with pain. And if, again, right. going back to the power of our brain, if we started to think more who we authentically are and who we want to be, who do we see ourselves as five mm-hmm. years from now, 10 years from now, I might have to go through some uncomfortable moments to get to the pleasure that I want. So it's yes. about being authentic, listening to that and making a plan for it. And then the last letter in this acronym Ah, uh, is H, of course. And this is maybe hard, and it's been especially hard during a pandemic, is asking for help. I did, mm-hmm. when, on my book tour, I also met a woman who, she, you know, I can't talk about this without talking about privilege to some degree. Mm-hmm. I am extraordinarily privileged. I didn't lose my job during the pandemic. I have a supportive partner. For a while, I had a caregiver who I regularly invited over. I have in-laws nearby. That's not mm-hmm. the case for everyone. But pleasure yeah. shouldn't be something that's only for people of privilege. It is, it is our birthright, right? Mm-hmm. So the one thing I will say that people I don't think do enough of, and this one woman who was speaking to me, she's like, my in-laws live with me. I'm working two jobs. I have kids. And I was like, what are your in-laws doing to help you? What are the people in your house? Like, are you still feeling like you have to do the meals every day? What are your kids doing to help? How can you employ other people to do stuff that you've been automatically doing because it's quicker or easier? Again, maybe you might need to go through some pain. Your kids are going to make some mess while they're trying to clean up, but you will get there. It is that old adage that has now become kind of seemingly trite, but it still has meaning, which is you have to put your oxygen mask on first. So true. So true. Do you think that people pleasers have a hard time accepting pleasure for themselves? Yes. And we, um, so many women are completely guilty of that, putting everyone's needs in front of their own. And they want to, you know, they want to be liked and they want to, I think it's okay to not be liked sometimes in order for you to serve yourself. And we have to stop thinking about that as selfish. I think that anyone who's become a parent knows it's hard. You do feel a lot of guilt. You feel a lot of like, because we want our kids to succeed, but The research shows, I heard this quote the other day, which is that Mm. I've met a lot of very successful people who are miserable. Um, I'm getting this wrong, but it was something like, I've met a lot of people who've had a lot of success and are extremely Mm. miserable, but I haven't met a lot of people who aren't successful, who are miserable. This is not exactly it, but people who make mistakes a lot in life, oftentimes will find meaning in that and learn from it and grow. The people who've had constant like wins in their life, I think sometimes have a hard time, right? So true. So true. Through every difficulty lies great opportunity. And it's funny, instead of saying selfish, we should say self-preservation. It's just a slight tweak, a slight shift, right? Agreed. I'd love to go back, Cynthia, to you as a little girl when you were six years old and you discovered your love for cosplay, which for our listeners means costume play and is the practice of dressing up as a character from a movie or a book or a video game. But what I found fascinating is that you would often dress up as male characters from Star Wars. I was wondering if you ever dressed up as Luke Skywalker, Han Solo or Obi-Wan Kenobi or, or one of the characters from Battle of the Planets. And it can be common, even though this may sound sexy to say, for six-year-old girls to want to gravitate towards Cinderella and Jasmine and Belle and Elsa. And yet you were fascinated by some of the most iconic sci-fi male characters. 
What did you love about dressing up as these fictional characters? Oh my gosh, Judy. I mean, it is, it's a really complicated thing to try to get inside my six-year-old brain because, you know, I, I can only look at it now from an adult looking back. But if I had to describe it, I think I was already at that age recognizing that there was a power differential in the genders. And there yeah. was something... You know, again, I, this is pre-sexual thoughts, but there was something delicious about the idea of embodying a man. And I, 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 and again, I might be related to power. It might have been related to just feeling like I want to have this kind of relationship to women, like, um, like the way in which you know, Han Solo had his way with <laughs> with Princess Leia. It was a very interesting gender bendy time. I also I mentioned Barry Manilow earlier, but I used to pretend I was him, and there was this idea of like singing in front of adoring women that I found quite. Um, I don't know, quite titillating, like exciting for me, like something. So I definitely think I'm, I'm in, uh, you know, it, you wouldn't necessarily know it from looking at me now, but I definitely have a, a quote unquote masculine male side, whatever that means now. I, I, I think gender is, can be so incredibly fluid and it's so interesting and complex. And again, to go back to the boxes, we've put things in such narrow little boxes that it's so ridiculous. Like, I, again, we raised my son with this just kind of like whatever, whatever you want, whoever you are is going to be fine by us. Yes. And I think when you let kids, I don't think my parents ever thought it was weird. And maybe that's because I was a girl and I was, you know, it wasn't really obvious if I put on a pair of pants. Right. You know. <laughs> um, but I definitely think there was something in that embodiment of power that I was picking up on that I was very attracted to. Does that make sense? So cool. That's yeah. so cool. Very much so. And it just sounds freeing and liberating and so cool that you were able to do that. It's like Jung talks about the anima and the animus, like you were able to develop it all. And that's so cool. Like really <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Just love that. You studied, you had that sex column you worked on and produced for the documentary series Sex TV. And I saw the episode with David Cronenberg, Monstrous Desire, Sexuality in the Horror Film 2005. What was it like working with David Cronenberg on that piece? Um, I did not do that interview, but I was a producer on that special. And I, you know, working at Sex TV, this is Moses Neimer's babies, right? Like it was incredible what he did in the 90s and 80s, 80s and 90s, that show, I mean, you know, of course, at that time, it was like there was fashion TV, there was media TV, there was queer TV, and there was sex TV, like there was everything that you could want. And sure. it was such a dynamic and a fascinating time, because it really was kind of a punk rock approach to TV making, we got to go and travel around the world and interview some of the most interesting people. And if we had a thought, we got to explore it. We explored all kinds of ideas and we were able to interview everyone from like Leonard Nimoy. He did a book of nudes. He was oh on our goodness. show. Um, I interviewed the, the director of Nine and a Half Weeks, Zalman King. And <sighs> yeah, we did. We, there were some really, really interesting people that we met priests to porn stars for sure. And everyone in between. <laughs> I love that. That's the title of your next book. <laughs> <laughs> I read that you didn't really like being on camera initially, which was so surprising for me to read about because you're so photogenic, you're so beautiful, and you always look so gorgeous in all those gowns and the outfits that you wear on TV. What did you not like about being on camera initially? And what did you do to sort of feel better about yourself and boost your confidence so that you could feel good on camera? 
Judy, you're so right. Like I, I was the, the, I was terrified of it. I loved being behind the camera and just interviewing subjects. And, and it wasn't until an executive had said to me, I think you really need to be on camera and try it out. And I was like, no, I'm not interested. But then 2008 happened. And remember everyone was losing their jobs, the bottom fell out of the economy. And I could sense like my show was getting reduced. There was a bunch of people who were let go. And I thought I got to figure something out. So I pitched a show (laughs) with me hosting it and producing it. And this was a late night show uh, on CP24 called Sex Matters. And I was surprised when it was green lit. And then I was like, now I gotta, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. And Judy, to say I was terrified. My partner is a a director of photography. He works in film and television. So he would get Uh. me to practice at home with no one else in the room except for me and him. And I couldn't string a sentence together. I would end up in tears. I was terrified. So what did I do? I went and took improv classes. I went to New York and I took a weekend thing with complete strangers where I learned acting classes. But you know what? Ultimately, it it really did come from being thrown in the deep end. With that show, it was a late night show where it was live. I made (laughs) so many mistakes, but then it just came from repetition. I I mean, what terrified me about it? I was afraid of being judged. I was afraid of being goofy. I was afraid of being bad. I was afraid of all these things, which now like... To go back to, you know, pleasure and pain. So I had to go through the pain of that to get to the pleasure. Yes. And I think I gave myself a time limit though, Judy. I was like, if after six months of doing this, if I still feel this dread, this disgust, this horrible feeling, then I'm going to give it up. Like, I don't think that this is going to, there's not going to be any, you know, fruit at the end of this. uh, Right whatever rainbow. out of gold at the out end of, of the rainbow. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but there was, so it's a wow. reminder to people you can stick something out and you find little glimpses of pleasure. You might be in the right direction. Absolutely. Especially if you're passionate about stuff, right? There's always going to be 99% perspiration, 1% inspiration. But once you get through that hard part, it's like Jack Canfield, who wrote chicken soup for the soul was on this show, talked about how so many people quit three quarters of the way to the finish line. They just don't go that extra mile. And it sounds like you did. And thank God for all of us, because we get to enjoy that. Do you remember your audition for The Social? And did you know at that time that it was going to become the sensation it has become and is? Don't answer that right now. We're going to go on a short commercial break. And when we get back, we'd love to hear all about your audition for The Social on CTV. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740, and I'm here with Cynthia Loist, one of the stars of The Social, and we were just talking, Cynthia, about your audition for The Social. What are your memories of what happened? 
There was there were a lot of incarnations of the social floating around before it happened. There was one other pilot that happened about a year before that. And I was brought on not as a possible one of the hosts. I was brought on as a possible sex expert. And then, you know, things changed in our building and that, that pilot thing disappeared. And so we all thought the show had never, was never going to happen. And then all of a sudden I was eight months pregnant and I get a call to do this audition and it was like two days of auditions where they kept on throwing different combinations of people together. And as it turned out, the original four of us who were in the very first audition, so that was me, Melissa Grello, Lainey Louie, and Tracy Melshore at that time, wow. we were the ones who were hired. But I didn't think I was going to be because I was eight months pregnant. And because of the timing, I would have been, when they originally were going to be um, airing it or they thought they were, I would have been like, I don't know, two weeks into giving birth. And I thought, okay, they, it was a bit longer than that. It was more like 10 <laughs> weeks, but yeah, I, I didn't. And I, we, I remember us doing interviews before the show launched and we didn't really know each other. And we're, and we're, ta- and we're getting asked like, so what's the show going to be about? And we were like, <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Like, I, we, I remember us just kind of like making up stuff. It's about fashion. It's about food. It's about fun. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, but, I, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been wonderful because the audience has just really grown and been very loyal to us. I have to tell you, I love your show. And I know there's The View in the States and I like your show better. And I'm not just saying that because I'm Canadian and because you're sitting here like, I just love your personalities. I love everything about it. And I even love seeing those fun spa nights that you did before COVID where you'd all gather up in a hotel room and have massages. Was that, were they so fun? They are so fun. We're very different people. Like it has been very interesting. And I think one of the greatest lessons that I've learned through this bond that I've made with these women is you can have debates. You can have totally different ideas. You can even sometimes get on each other's nerves and you can come back to this formative of like, we cheer each other on, we have each other's backs. And that has been so meaningful for me because I think sometimes with women who are ambitious, it can end up being a real competitive stream and, and you're not rooting for each other, but that's not what it is with us. And I really, really, it's become I see so that. Yeah, sisterly. I really see that on the show. It's so nice. I wanted to ask you that people who are single, so you have a specific role in the show, as we've mentioned on the social, where you talk about sex and dating and romance and mating and relationships. Do you have advice for people who are single and really wanting to meet someone now that the restrictions of the pandemic are waning? Mm. There's been a lot of really interesting research that has come out post-pandemic about how the pandemic has reshaped the way people date. And it's some of them are really, really interesting ways. I think what the evidence shows is that people beforehand were starting to feel very exhausted by the kind of swipe right, get together, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, like (laughs) sort of disposable sex, too many options, all that. And the pandemic forced people to really, really slow down. And I think that this is providing a really great opportunity for us to, there's another huge bit of research that showed that looks have become less important to people. So people who otherwise were feeling like they were maybe not chosen because of an instant look on an app, these things are changing. So I think one of the most important things is, is get your skills up when it comes to doing what we're doing right now, which is connecting with people online. And whether you need to practice that with a friend, you got to get good. You got to curate very carefully <laughs> what your background looks like. Yes. You have to spend the time being curious, like really, yeah. really getting to know someone and asking well, lots of questions. And I think you'll be surprised. People do really want, humans want to connect. 
They want yes. to find meaningful connections, right? But you've got to work on yourself first as an individual before you can think about partnering with someone else. <laughs> it's so, it's so, so true. You know, we actually reached out to people asking them questions, knowing that you were coming on the show. And so just one off the top is, what do you do to light a fire in your relationship when you've been married for a long time, when you've gone through the pandemic together? Do you have any suggestions for how to really light a fire and get the passion back? Judy, I have to say, this is one of the most common questions I get. And unfortunately, yes. there's no like sound by the answer for this yes. thing. Um, you know, I can give you the kind of like bullet point things that you could try. Um, you can try to, again, go on a female friendly, queer friendly kind of uh, sex positive stores website and choose a couple things, bring in some accoutrements into the bedroom, get your partner to pick some of them out. You can try costumes. You can try erotica. There's no, no end to the things that are available out there in book form online. But all of those things won't work if there are underlying resentments in your relationship. So yeah. if you, you can do all the things, have all the toys in the world, but if you yes. really feel like your partner has been unattentive to your emotional connection, or if you know, you're resentful because they never look after the kids, you're not going to be able to rev your engine because you've got your foot on the brake, right? right? So I think you really have to take stock of reconnecting and recognizing that intimacy isn't just about penis and vagina sex or even genitals at all. Intimacy is about building trust. It's about building connection. It's about being there together and start with that. I mean, and I'm a huge proponent of couples therapy if you're feeling very disconnected, but yes. also recognizing that long-term relationships do go through ebbs and flows. So if you feel like your sex life is kind of on pause, you know, maybe ask yourself the questions of like, why, what are the elements that are coming into this? Did I just have a baby? Well, give yourself a break. Am right. I going through perimenopause? That's okay. Sure. Like these are all these things that you can kind of put in a framework and communicate them with your partner yes. and think yes. of sex. I, the, one of the biggest things that I feel like we don't talk enough about sex has become this kind of like, Oh, you know, am I having sex enough times? Am I, am I doing it as much as you know, my neighbors are doing and who cares? I think it's got to be really like, what do I want to get out of this? And yes. you might want to start with just like your own self-love practice, like, you know, exploring your own erotic imagination, because that stuff will fill you up. And also you can bring that into your partnered sex. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I also love that you talk also about mini moons and honeymoons and date nights and stuff like that. And my husband and I often go on a 12.5 hour getaway to an inn in Ontario, uh, Langdon Hall. Okay, I'll say it. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, I was really just fun. researching this today. Anyway, oh my yes. God, you got to go there. You got to go. It's so fantastic. We've actually been there 49 times in the last 20 years. And they've said, one day we're going to write a, a book about the the doctor and his wife who come like at 830 at night because he's busy in, in the OR and I'm busy doing my thing here. And we have this romantic dinner, sleepover, have breakfast at 637 in the morning and he's back with patients in the morning. But on the way there, he'll always say to me, oh my God, Judy, what are, we, what are we doing? I have so much work to do. I can't believe we're going. And then we go there and we have this little routine, which is to have a glass of champagne with a little cassis, which turns the champagne pink, my favorite color. And the second he has that sip of champagne, he's like, thanks for convincing me. Good idea. Good, good move. And it works every time. I know you talk about champagne in the book. What is it about champagne that's so alluring? Oh my God. I mean, for me, it was like I, the story I had to share in the book was right after like Jason, my partner and I, we had had a, like a big fight, a huge fight. And I'd gone away and I'd come home and, you know, things in silver were kind of freezy between us, but 
you know, he opened a bottle of champagne. So I knew things maybe were going to be okay. And just the act, I, I remember thinking deeply. And again, this goes back to being in our bodies and recognizing the sights and sounds around us, but just the action of taking off that sort of tin dress that's on top and then like unscrewing it. And co- the cork is like, it's very, very like explosive and orgasmic in a way. And then the impact that it has on you, like these like fuzzy little effervescent bubbles that just kind of like dance around your mouth. There's something really, really sensual about champagne. And I just love it. It was, it was a very memorable evening for me. <laughs> so I, I know what you're that. talking about. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for that. I also loved in the book, Cynthia, when you talked about love letters and how your mom used to nestle in a little folded love note in your lunchbox between the juice box and the cookies. I'm a huge fan of writing love letters. I wrote a book about it, Love Mummy, writing love letters to your baby. And I'm just wondering, what is your advice on how to write a love note to someone and move their day from the mundane to the magical? I think we should do this more often, and I think it should be handwritten. But I also just think if you can't do a handwritten note, and sometimes that's not convenient for people, just even, I do this all the time. I'll be sitting somewhere, and rather than scrolling through my phone, I will send little love notes to my friends. And I don't think they have to be long. I think it'll just be like, I'm thinking of you. I miss your laugh. And like I think it just brings so much to someone's day to know that they're being thought of. If you can pull out a memory... Um, and get yes. them to like you're just spreading joy in that way and it's funny my, one of my friends Jan Jan Arden who is I mean I feel like everyone in Canada adores her I was at her place on the weekend for her birthday and I, I wrote her a card and I initially wrote it in my um, in my phone and then I reread it and I was just like this is terrible so then I because it was more it was more like you know obvious easy statements so then I rearranged and I just went right I went right for memory I listed all of the funny, silly things that I think of when I think of her. And I mean, it brought her to tears. So I think you, yeah, conjure memories and spread that kind of love. That's so lovely. Is that ever a finding your bliss beautiful moment? (laughs) My God. I also loved your section called a drawer full of miracles. And when you say take a little pouch and put some memorable little things in a pouch or a piece of lace from your bridal veil, like, oh my God, so evocative. This is also a way for me to justify that I'm a bit of a clutter bug. And we live in this world where we're supposedly, you know, they say like, what is it? Like a minimalism is, you know, it represents like an uncluttered mind. Well, I'll admit it. Uh, there are some places where I have a lot of like stuff stored and it yeah. brings me joy. Like yeah. when I open up that drawer that is filled with like my son's first shoes and, you know, some memories of when I used to belly dance and like, wow. you know, all of these things, they conjure joy for me. So even though sometimes my life is in a bit of chaos, I think, I think women have to check in again with that script, which is that you have to have your home to be Pinterest worthy and Instagram worthy at every <laughs> point in time. Yes. I try to look at some of the mess in my life and remember what I was doing instead of cleaning. If I'm able to sit down with my son at the end of the day and actually connect with him, okay, so you know what? Sometimes my house is a bit messy. Sometimes my drawers are a bit messy. Sometimes the (laughs) laundry doesn't get folded. I make that choice and I'm going to, I'm going to be okay with that. I'm not saying that's, that's good for everyone. That might not be someone else's pleasure. The pleasure might be in the cleaning for them. It's not, especially for me. So I think there's a lot of different ways we can reframe mess and make it meaningful. Oh, I love that. I really love it. There's so much pleasure in fashion. And I know on the social, I love when you guys dress up for Fashion Friday and you post stuff on Instagram. And COVID was a long series of sweatpants and sweatshirts. 
how, <laughs> how can we reconnect to the pleasure of fashion and just getting dressed up? I think the pandemic has kind of changed the way that we think. I definitely have had a hard time looking at my um, my high heels in quite the same way. I but know. <laughs> I think there is something to do with the self-expression that can go along with fashion. And it is a beacon. It does say things to other people. There's this great series of books, and I think it's called... Um, Oh, it's something divine elegance. I can't remember exactly the title, but it basically is a compilation of older women who have fierce style. So, and they're outlandish and over the top. And I just think, especially as we get older, the more that the world tells women to like, stop being seen, the more that I think that we actually might find a lot of joy, bliss, pleasure in saying, I want to dye my hair purple. I want to be ensconced in feathers. I want to wear sequins <laughs> during the daytime. Again, it has to suit your personality. For some women, it's going to be, I want to be polished and I want to be super, super clean. But that kind of, I'm not going to ev- like devolve into disappearing into muted tones if that's not my personality. Yes. Yeah, go against that. Be bold, be brave. Absolutely. What about Iris Appel, that hundred-year-old exactly. woman? Oh, oh so with gorgeous. The pearls draped yeah. around her, and she's so gorgeous in that lipstick. Also, I love when you talk about lipstick in the book. How important is lipstick it's to so make your important. day and make it, you feel good? These little tiny <laughs> pleasures—they're—they're they're, all around us. Yes, I know. It's so great. I—I <laughs> I honestly, you know, it's funny. I could do another hour with you. I have 5 million questions still to ask you. And I want to say, I hope you'll come back on again, because I, I just, I would like to talk to you about gratitude and I'd like to talk to you about a million things. What is the biggest jewel or take home you want people to glean and to sparkle with when they read, find your pleasure? I, what would make me so happy and has made me so happy is when people send me pictures of themselves on a beach with a, you know, a coffee or with a glass of wine and they, they take a picture of the book and they write to me about something that moved them and that they're trying in their lives. And I mean, I have so many different pleasure prompts in the books and little, little ideas to inject pleasure. And so when people are actually acting them out, it makes me so happy. But for anyone, yeah, who's listening right now, I think it's just look around your space. Take five minutes to look around right now and focus Mm -hmm. on something that immediately sparks joy and put it close to you. Put it close to your space and don't be afraid to use it as like a kind of talisman to go back to time and time again. So great. What is bliss for Cynthia Loist? Oh, bliss is when you feel like you are completely satiated, when you are completely in gratitude and when you are completely in alignment with who you want to be. Yes. I mean, I'm still reaching for that. And you get moments of it. And maybe we're only meant to have moments of it, but they're more and more frequent lately. I, I think the wow. pandemic has definitely shown me about what are the most important things in life. So I feel like I'm trying to be so much more present. Meditation has been a daily thing for me. Changed my life, you know? It's beautiful. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah, it's the best. But Judy, I would love to come back. You, you tell me. I'm, I'll be here. Yeah. <laughs> You're the best. I, I have to say, this has been truly delightful and blissful for us to be with you. You really walk the walk and talk the talk and you're just beautiful inside and out. And truly, I want to really recommend to everyone, get this beautiful book, Find Your Pleasure. It's gorgeous. It's a treat. It makes you feel good. And I almost feel like you got to get two of them, one for you and one for someone you love. 
as a gift and keep it on your bedside table because I want to reread sections over and over again because it's just wonderful. So congratulations. What's the best way for people to get this beautiful book and of course to connect with you on social media? Yes, thank you. You can get it. It's still available at Indigos and Chapters, not all of them, but you can look online. I think Amazon still has it. You can reach out to me if you can't find it. Findyourpleasure.com. My email is hello at findyourpleasure.com and you get to me directly. Awesome. Love that. <laughs> Love that. I want to thank you so much, Cynthia Lois. It's really been delightful having you on the show today. Thank you so much for bringing bliss to my day. <laughs> oh, thank you. Each week we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or musician on the show. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. If you're an author, artist, yoga, meditation, or mindfulness expert, or really anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. You can write to us at FYB at findingyourbliss.com. And of course, you can follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank our guests, the wonderful celebrity guest today, Cynthia Loist, and thank you to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kiley, Shelley Koskinen, associate producer Nayira Amani, senior editor Lauren Kaminsky, video editor Beatrice Costa, audio producer Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.